the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow is underway on the Wednesday edition. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network. Includes the live stream right now on YouTube. Just search out Outkick. Chad is in the chat, ready to go there. Always hopping. Needs to be better than yesterday, though. Right? I'm, I'm in it. I'm all up in the chat right now, and I need that chat to have way more positive vibes than what we had yesterday. I just think it was... Tuesday's a weird day, everybody. Yep. We know this, right? It can be a tough day. We're one step closer to the weekend today. We've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Weekend starts on Thursdays on this show. That means we're on the weekend eve at this point. I think the chat's going to be much more productive today, Hutton. I feel good about it. Great show plan. We've got Bobby Carpenter, who will join us coming up in 20 minutes, the very latest across college football and more. Primary complaint each and every Wednesday. And Clay Travis, also our founder of Outkick will be with us as he is each week at the uh, second hour of, of the show. Mark Harris from Outkick.com has all of the news regarding the, the PGA and uh, what's going on with Rory. Stepping uh, aside from the uh, player council, the advisory council, and uh, a possible conclusion to the live and PGA merger and possible investors as well. Plus, uh, Michael Bratton. Uh, SEC Mike, uh, he, he jumps in, and we've got a ton uh, to discuss on firings, job openings, who's next on the chopping block. We've got some opinions on that. Plus, uh, Georgia, number one of the country. A lot. Hutton, you just, I mean, I, I think we're good. I think that, that covered it right there. We hit every single thing we're going to talk about today. It's been a great show already. Uh, that's just a little snippet of what we're going to get to. I am pumped up about it. I am really pumped up before we get into the pressing matters. Yes. That I'm done with all online work for the final slope or not oh. slow pitch, 8U softball tournament of the year. This is it. This will be the last time. This has been your. For those that love hearing about me coaching 8U like coach return. pitch softball, then you're going to you know love that this is almost over. For those that love me talking about it, you're going to hate this, but you know, I'll be done until 2024 after this weekend. And I mean, I, short of uh, donating plasma is, is what I've had to do. I almost had to go through a retinal scan to get my roster inputted into a website and clear all other rosters any girl's ever been on before, before entering this tournament. I did not know that my eight-year-old girls are going to be playing in the College World Series in Oklahoma City in softball this weekend. But apparently that's what we are getting into, and I'm ready to go. They're ready to go. Bring that process is over. I'm excited. Bring your birth certificates. Birth certificates. You always got to have that handy. Moment of parents. There says will anything, be drama. You start waving the birth certificate like your passport and show that they're of age. It's time to go, Hutton. Maybe we're about to see the Browns go backwards because as soon as we see Deshaun Watson once again play well, especially in the second half this past week and a comeback win over the Baltimore Ravens. News out today. He's done for the year. Uh, a broken bone in his shoulder. That was sustained during the first half of this past weekend's game. And then he goes on to, what, 14 of 14 uh, as they begin the second half and come back and win the game that sent them to 6-3 and three overall. Today, the news comes out that he's done. Broken Bone will send him after an MRI to injured reserve. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson is the starter for the Cleveland Browns now. 6-3, and three, meeting up with the Pittsburgh Steelers, also with that record. And, Chad, this is, yet again, following the storyline of Deshaun Watson's tenure thus far with Cleveland. Gets the massive contract, fully guaranteed, and sits out, based on the suspension last year, 11 weeks. 
comes back, doesn't do anything down the backstretch, and played well in week three, opted out after being cleared to play in week four prior to the Baltimore game, continued to be on the injured list as more news came out on his injury, comes back, plays, not great in previous starts since the return, and then last week, excellent over the third and fourth quarter, and they get a huge win, trying to build momentum behind that great defense and what can be a solid quarterback. That's not going to be the case. It's par for the course and the same offseason storyline that we saw last year for the Cleveland Browns. What a weird season also for Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. He has his best performance against the Titans in a win, a blowout win. Then he's hurt the next week, and he's out. And then, oh, we think he's coming back, according to Kevin Stefanski. No, he's still out. Oh, he was available to play today, but... He elected to be out. Well, what's going on there? Oh, no, we completely back to Sean Watson. He's back. Oh, he's back. Oh, he still sucks. Okay, great. So what's, oh, now he's really good again. Oh, he just had his best day as a Brown and a big win and come from behind fashion against the Ravens. And then, oh, he's done for the year immediately after that performance. It's strange. Strange times in Cleveland. And here they sit six and three, a half game back in the division, right there in the mix for big things this year. Six seed. And now they're going to have to do it with P.J. Walker at quarterback? No, it's not going to be P.J. Walker. It's going to be Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Wow. So Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to be the quarterback. How much would they want to have Josh Dobbs right now, who they traded to the Arizona Cardinals before the season? They needed him last time. Last time this happened. Yeah. And And now Josh Dobbs is starring in Minnesota as they try to make the playoffs. So, again, it's just a very – it's a very strange set of circumstances – to get to the point where there's a lot to play for and a lot to be excited about this season with the Browns. But are you going to be able to hold on to your status without Deshaun Watson, even though Deshaun Watson wasn't all that good for the most part, except for a couple of games? It's a weird place to be in, Hutton, and then not just this season, now with Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback, but what are the Browns moving forward and is Deshaun Watson, can you call it? Is he already a bust? You can't give up on him, given what you've committed to him. I mean, all you can do is hope that he gets healthy and rehabs and comes back good next year. It's a strange place to be, and I feel like it's sort of this limbo right now for a Browns team that's got a dominant defense. I mean, you have a chance of wasting a dominating defense right now. And an MVP caliber player in Miles Garrett. Yeah. You know, it's not going to go to a defensive player or any player other than the quarterback. But uh, He's that important. He has been... He's, Unbelievable. Uh, he's Aaron Donald at his best, Micah Parsons, true game yep. records, Khalil Mack at a time. I'm thinking about guys that you would point to and say, you got to account for them on every snap, and they truly change games on defense. He's one of those guys this year, but I can't help but feel like they're wasting that defense right now, especially given the fact that Deshaun Watson's out for the remainder of the season. And that defense kept them in the mix whenever Watson wasn't Uh, able to go over that four-week stretch, which included their bye week. P.J. Walker came in. It was was Dorian Thompson-Robinson that started uh, whenever he couldn't play against Baltimore at home, Watson, I'm talking about, in in week four. And he completed barely 50% of his passes, I believe, in that game. They then go with the veteran and P.J. Walker. And since then to now... Uh, before Watson returned, Walker had one touchdown pass to four or five interceptions. Not good. They were winning despite P.J. Walker starting at quarterback, and they were beating some good teams. They beat the 49ers. 
for instance, wasn't due to the quarterback play. Right. It was due to the defense. And can the defense alone keep them in the playoff mix based on where they are in the division they play in? I doubt it. Because there's a lot, of, a lot of games left, and they're in the best division in football. And that includes Pittsburgh, who's also right there record-wise. And they also hold some victories over opponents within the division. So here we go again with the Browns and all the offseason storyline. What would the storyline be, by the way, if Dobbs was the backup in, in Cleveland right now and was playing the way he's been playing since he was traded to Minnesota? Not, it, it, maybe even the way he played whenever he was traded to Arizona. Uh, originally, because it, it would be better play than what we've seen from the backups to Watson. And then the discussion would be really about boomer bust and the fact you can't go to any hot hand because you're going to stick with Watson no matter what, based on the money that was allocated to him. I think it would be way down on Deshaun Watson would be the reaction in Cleveland, but with a mixture of optimism that the season's going to be fine because you got a quarterback who can do some things and you don't need everything because the defense can be everything for you. So this team is going to be okay. I don't think they had that sense right now with it. And you well, could hope for Deshaun Watson's eventual return to where at some point he's the quarterback. That's what's so odd about it, though, Hutton, is this is coming off a game where he was really good. Right. And, and, that, and the, now you the show that flash again, too. and you think, okay, now he looks like that guaranteed money, big-time contract quarterback. Maybe he's going to be that the rest of the way. Now he's out for the and year. And that's the optimism, yeah. And, and also – there would have been the, optimism in this season with Dobbs the, playing this way at backup. And there's optimism based on the way you see that offense generate points when Watson's at his best or headed to, towards that that path. Stefanski said this injury occurred um, in the first half. And then he had the second half, because he was not good in the first half this past week. Second half, he came out and played well, uh, very good with the hot hand. That's the, also uh, the surprising part. Now, the Browns fans yet again, high hopes, detrimental results and, and news coming out of Cleveland based on the, the injury to Watson paired with that defense and what they could do and what they had ahead of them and where they were in the standings for the, the AFC North. Well, and just, I mean, man, that defense, and they invested so heavily into Sean Watson when he was facing all those accusations. He goes on to basically not play for, what, two seasons or two, se two plus seasons because he came in with five games left last year. Did he miss the two previous two seasons or a whole season before that? He had not played in, in, since the 2020 season. Uh, excuse me, the 2019-2020 season. So, yeah, he missed two seasons and then most of a third. Came back in the next one. Terrible. Not great to start this year. But had two games where he flashed that old Deshaun Watson you could be excited about. And I just look and say, man, if they invested in so many other people, Think of it, it had a high draft pick at some point and, and could have draft. I mean, it's just so many different routes they could have gone. And the picks traded. That would have been in a better spot to pair with this elite defense. That's what's unfortunate. It's, it's not unfortunate to have an elite defense if you're a Browns fan. It's unfortunate that this is the pairing. This is like the, the worst wine and cheese combo pairing you could ever have. This fine Bordeaux that you have of a defense, and then you've got the worst government cheese that you can possibly have in the outlook at quarterback position. And it's not just having Deshaun Watson who has mostly sucked. It's dedicating all of that money and all of that roster capital and salary cap space to Deshaun Watson. It's not like you're getting these performances and these injuries from a guy who's not costing you 
an arm and a leg. Straight cash. Yeah. Man, it's tough. Tough to be a Browns fan. Extension 2020 and then demanded the trade, set out all the accusations, and we know the rest in 21. Traded. We know what happened last year. And, of course, same storyline for the injuries and questions about whether or not it's going to be a true bust. To this point, obviously, it has been. Chad, we know uh, Jim Harbaugh is describing the Michigan Wolverines and what they've done to this point and what they did this past weekend at Penn State as America's team, which we'll, we'll hear in a moment. But it's as though when you hear this, Jim Harbaugh is describing 2022 TCU, but he's describing another team this year when he's actually talking about the Wolverines. The perseverance, you know, and then the just the stalwartness of these guys. I mean, yeah, Watson, I would have to say, I mean, everybody. It's got to be America's team. It's got to be America's team. America, America loves a team that, that uh, you know, beats the odds, beats the adversity, you know, overcomes with the naysayers and, you know, critics, so-called experts think. Um, that's my favorite kind of team. And yeah, watching it from from that view on the television, I, it was finally people get to see what I see every day, you know, in these players and these coaches. I'm sorry, Jim Harbaugh, but you're not describing Michigan in those comments. You're describing the Washington Huskies in these comments. They are this year's version of TCU from last season, survive in advance every single week, and making the plays necessary to survive games where you're capable of dropping one. And dropping one would mean you're not going to have the opportunity in the college football playoff to go for a national title. They remain at number five. Georgia jumps Ohio State, and rightfully so, to be number one in the college football playoff rankings. Florida State remains where they were, and so does Washington, despite Washington's victory last week against Utah and what we saw from Florida State against unranked Miami. This is an upcoming matchup, though, this week for Washington, where they have top 10 ranked Oregon State on the road, and Florida State is facing North Alabama. This is the opportunity where Washington can jump into the mix in the top four, because Boo Corrigan said they're very close to already jumping the Seminoles. But America's team, the average college football fan should gravitate to Washington because they're doing exactly what Harbaugh is describing, except Harbaugh's looking at this and playing the, the heel, talking about his, his team and everything there within Ann Arbor, all eyes on them, and they love them. Outside of it, not so much. The, the way they go about winning games and the excitement level, fun to watch, Heisman hopeful and Michael Penix Jr. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, in the way that he's jumping the ranks as one of the top coaches and what they're doing there, Chad. This is the team to watch. This is the team to root for. This is the team that I believe can beat anyone in the country, but they're not getting that recognition yet. The question is, can they win and continue to win the way TCU did enough to get into the mix last year? And then guess what? TCU beat Michigan. Washington, I believe, can do the same, and they'll do it behind the view of the perception of the right reasons. 
Look, unless you are an Ohio State, a Michigan, an Alabama, a Georgia, a most years Clemson fan, Washington is all of us. It's everyone else that roots for any other college football team that either hasn't sniffed a college football playoff, hasn't done anything when they've gotten there. It's new blood, and we need new blood at the top of college football. We need it desperately. So if you want that, root like hell for the Huskies moving forward. I've been rooting for them since the, before the season started. I hope they continue. I hope they find a way into that 14 playoff. Bobby Carpenter next. More college football discussion on Hot Mike with Ed and Withrow across the Outkick Network. No shortage of college football discussion and headlines. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Coming up, primary complaint. An hour from now, we've got Clay Travis. Right now, we say hello to Bobby Carpenter. Sirius XM Channel 84 is where you can find him, as well as uh, across the board, including with McAfee and others. Bobby, good to see you, man. How are you? Hudson Withrow, uh, great to see you guys, man. And it seems like as quickly as it comes... It goes, and with Thanksgiving just a week away, holy smokes, man, the college football regular season, it's uh, its kind of evaporating right in front of our eyes. This one has been exceptionally fast, I feel like, too, this year, where I just blinked, and then here we are, and it's Thanksgiving already. Uh, Bobby, I think the world of you. I, I like you a lot. I probably am <laughs> never going to get as emotional as Sharon Moore did, though, talking about <laughs> Jim Harbaugh when talking about you. And even I, – I, you're in great shape. <sighs> Let's be honest, I'm going to die well before you. But even if you go before me and I'm at your funeral, I'm not going to speak with that much emotion uh, about you. How strange <laughs> was that post-game interview where he goes from thanking the Lord to F-bombing to I love the bleep out of you, talking about Jim Harbaugh, a guy who's uh, not sick, not dead, but back at the team hotel watching the game because of a suspension. You know, that to me, oh, with there was the most interesting piece of it all. It would have been one thing if, like, Jim Harbaugh would have been stricken by illness, if he had a death in his family, if there was some reason why he couldn't be there due to health. But there was some life-threatening condition. Listen, we all love football. I love it as much as you guys. We're very passionate about the sport of college football. It's tremendous. It's fantastic. And it should obviously be played and coached and watched with a lot of emotion. However, that, that was a bit extreme for a guy that, you know, was just suspended uh, you know, we can argue about whether or not he knew, whether he didn't know and different things, but there were things that obviously went on within his program. And, you know, the big 10 obviously rendered a judgment on that. Now there's going to be a little court battle and everything that ensues. And, you know, kudos to Sharon Moore in Michigan for going out there and beating up Penn state. They bullied him in their house. They ran the ball the entire second half. Heck, I think they only attempted one pass, got a PI out of it. So I, I get all that. But, you know, when you invoke God and then you, you bring in some F-bombs and some different profanity, I, get, I feel like we're kind of all over the board with our messaging there. Bobby Carpenter with us. Uh, Bobby, uh, from a defensive mindset, knowing what Michigan did to Penn State and how they went about beating them offensively, what's, what's going on in the mindset of a defensive player at linebacker at, on the defensive front as they do nothing but just run the football right at them and take care of business and make it look easy? Well, it's, if, if you're going to play them, you have to realize and recognize it's going to be a full day's work. And you can't hope that, you know what, they just stop running it because that's not the reality. That's not in their DNA. That's not who they are. 
They're going to line up and they're just going to run the football at you over and over and over again. They're going to run it on third and eight. They're going to run it on third and five. They're going to usually have third and threes and they're going to keep running it. Now there'll be a play action in there. Maybe, maybe they have a drop back pass. Maybe they throw a screen, but to think that they're not going to run the ball is a fool's errand. You had better prepare yourself mentally and physically when you play a team like that for 50 to 55 plus runs. And you know what? If you can get a lead and you can get them out of running it, great. Michigan's pretty disciplined. I don't think that they'll probably stray too far from their running game unless it becomes more than a two-score game at some point. But they're going to lean in, and this is the way they're built. They like to go a lot of wide services, three-man, four-man to a side. And so if they do score through, your second-level and third-level defenders are stretched, and those things can ultimately hit you for home runs. And so you've got to be prepared coming in that it is going to be a slugfest for 60 minutes. Is there more pressure on Ohio State? And there's always pressure on both these teams, especially Ohio State going into this year. But is there more pressure if this suspension is upheld and there is no Jim Harbaugh in that game when those two teams meet? Uh, maybe. Maybe I, you, you could be onto something there. There might be some more pressure. Yeah, he's not on the sideline. You better get it done. But you know, I'm watching that game. Like Jim Harbaugh, he doesn't call the plays. You know, Offensively, he's not a defensive guy. He's not you know, calling the defensive uh, signals either. You know, I'm watching it. You know, his DNA is all over that game. Like, and that, that's a good thing. Like, his team is built in his image of what he wants to do. Sharon Moore knew how they need to go out and execute, how they needed to play. And I sat there and watched. It was no more evident. I think it was a third and nine, and they go to a bunch formation and run a QB sweep with sweep with JJ McCarthy, pick up the first down. And I look at that. I'm like, man, that reminds me of Alex Smith when they played, I believe, the New York Giants for a chance to go to the NFC Championship game when he was with the Niners. Like, it was the borderline, the exact play. And a very similar situation it was a third and medium to longish six or seven yards. They knew they were going to get man coverage. And you know what? We're going to go run the football on you, and we're going to run with the quarterback and force somebody to come off, you know, and, and make a play. And so as I look at that, yeah, if, he, if he's not there, there probably is an added pressure to win. But I don't think him, him being – not being there is a massive disadvantage either. I mean, I guess the, the main thing is the decisions win the game, to punt, to go for it, to kick field goals, how you manage the game and clock. But he's been up there for a while, and you feel like they're kind of equipped to be able to handle it. But there probably is a little added pressure. Yeah, and I mean, I think also with McCarthy there, that that helps. You're just being able to manage things from from his experience and standpoint at quarterback. And uh, the the he can sling it. I mean, there's a reason why we're discussing him a couple of weeks ago for Heisman uh, discussion in the rankings, in the percentage or whatever chances he had. It was more than just handing the football off. Uh, Bobby Carpenter with us here on uh, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Bobby, what would you do uh, if you were paid $77 million to fail uh, the way Jimbo Fisher has just uh, been fired and is getting a a massive payout where uh, each day that passes, he'll make about... $26,000. $26,000. I'd go sit on one of my ranches and be John Dutton and just look at my land and try to enjoy it and, and maybe ride horses, do f- fish a little bit. Uh, you look at you know Jimbo Fisher and what he's done. He had a lot of success early on at Florida State. I think out of his first six years, you know, five of them, or maybe out of his first seven, six of them were you know, double-digit win seasons. You know, He went to a couple uh, – went to the CFP. They won a national championship. Championship, but a lot of that was done with Jameis Winston. You take him out of the equation, they haven't had quite as much success. And he especially hasn't had nearly as much success at AM. And I'm you know, I, I give him a lot of credit for being able to re-up his deal and extend it. Um, but it you know, it just seemed like this year, like they couldn't get out of neutral. I, you know, 
Bjork had a great line about that. Like we we're driving 55 in the left-hand lane. And that's kind of what it felt like. They had great recruits. They have great facilities that everything you needed. And offensively, they never really seemed like they were a cohesive unit. And that's what he was brought in to be is this offensive guy to kind of piece it all together. And I know people will you know, get mad at saying this. They're trying to bring in Dan Lanning. Like Oregon's a better job. And I know the Texas A&M, they'll look at the winning percentage and the historical things and all this. Give me the last 25 years. Give me since recruits today have been alive, the last 20 years. And I put Oregon's record and what they have and the facilities and the success and all the different things right beside of A&M's. I mean, it's a better situation. And they're not in the SEC. They get to roam the Northwest. They get the West Coast or join the Big Ten. Dan Lanning's already built it there, and they don't have the stress or the pressure. Like, it's a better job right now at this point. And so A&M, like, it felt like they swung hard with Jimbo. I'm curious to see which way they go now because it seems like they may try to go with, you know, a small a coach at a smaller school or maybe a coordinator that's maybe not this massive name that you're going to have to overpay for because they tried that already and it didn't work. So that, that buyout accounts for more than half of this, but $146 million are allocated in the Power Five right now to buyouts since last year. If you're a, the current players, former players going in front of uh, the, the uh, Capitol Hill, if you're NIL, if you're uh, a collective, don't you just hammer this home as far as the, the, the money goes and the argument being made that there needs to be federal legislation in regards to how college sports will move forward with this free-for-all, quote-unquote, that is being argued against name, image, likeness, and uh, the, the transfer portal? You know, I, I think there probably needs to be some level of guidelines, but here, this is the, how we got here is the fact that there's all this money being made, but then there's nowhere to spend it. So the only places to spend it are our coaches and facilities. And so that's why we see these immaculate palaces. That's why we see coaches that are getting $10 million a year. And you know what? There's a lot of places where some of those coaches are worth it, and they've had success that deems you to be worth it. And you know what? I guess if someone's willing to pay it, that's how much you're worth but if you look at how much some of these guys are getting paid and how they've been spending through these buyouts, you wonder, like, couldn't that money be better allocated? And like you said, maybe it's, maybe it's the players, maybe it's to whoever. But college football is big business. And, you know, these schools, you know, they're, they're not in the business of making profit. They're in the business of winning. And so in the NFL, people have to take into account through the owner, well, do I really want to waste all this money? You give Mark Davis a ton of credit for, you know, spending whatever, $80, $70, $80 million and firing his coach and GM. Well, because he has to eat that. In college, there's no one making that money. And so it's just people giving. They have the best model in the world, gentlemen. Think about this, where you can charge a ton of money to come see your games. You charge a ton of money to see them on TV. Oh, and by the way, you also walk around with the offering bucket every couple months and say, hey, we need more money to be able to have success. Yeah, and I, I'm with you, Bobby. If someone's worth it, you know, pay them that in their salary and, and what they're making in their con- – I hate the buyouts. I hate people getting paid to fail when they get fired and they get to walk away with that much money. Uh, that's something needs to be corrected. Here's my question about A&M, though, because we know how this process works, where agents are going to play this game and they're going to get their guys raises and even bigger buyouts, their current job, if they don't go to A&M. Do you think that this thing is going to be sober in that A&M knows who they want. They're going to go hire them quickly. There's not going to be a lot of names mentioned. There's not going to be a lot of flight tracker going on. Or is this going to be a classic 
SEC college football coaching search circus where everyone's going to be thrown out there. We are going to be tracking planes and all that stuff's going to happen. How does A&M attack this coaching search and hire? I think they go about it. The former, when we start talk, or talking about it, you know, it's good. Probably I would keep it tighter. You don't need to go for everyone. Like they threw out names like Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell is an A&M alum. He's not leaving the Detroit Lions. I mean, they're they're in a Super Bowl hunt. Like he has got it set there. You know, there's a lot of these crazy names. They threw out Dan Lanning. I think this is something where they look at a coach, maybe at a, at a lower tier group, uh, power five, maybe a group of five school. Maybe there's a coordinator out there and they try to get this thing done quietly and quickly as opposed to all the crazy fanfare, because you've seen how that's worked. And you watched, uh, and Penn State fans are probably lamenting this, that you know James Franklin, they were able to play the opening at USC off of that, and uh, USC was complicit in it because everyone thought that they were ultimately going to hire him. And meanwhile, they were you know working Lincoln Riley, the back door out of Oklahoma. So you know, there's a lot of high-level gamesmanship that's going to be played. I just think A&M, probably with where they're at and everything that's happened, Let's figure it out. Let's target a guy. They don't have to be the splashiest hire. Get someone that will win, and let's get it done quick. Bobby Carpenter with us. There in Ohio, what's what's the sentiment of what has happened with Deshaun Watson with today's news Ugh. that the, the broken bone in his shoulder, he's done for the year after playing a great second half and winning the game in comeback fashion against Baltimore this past weekend? It finally looked like the $240 million or whatever it was guaranteed was paying off. The, you saw quintessential Deshaun Watson in the second half, 14 to 14, doing with his legs, doing with his arms, massive comeback against Baltimore, which they were a little complicit in allowing them to come back. But you know what? They're six and three and you're thinking, man, this team could be poised, you know, maybe win the division, maybe win a couple playoff games, could be Super Bowl contenders. Who knows? Their defense is elite. And now all of a sudden you get this news and it is a punch to the gut because a couple weeks ago there was the trade deadline. You could have maybe brought in, Josh Dobbs, who he looks like the hottest thing cooking no, right now in Minnesota, yeah. and he was familiar with the system. So not only is it bad, but like the timing of when it could have happened couldn't be worse. I'm with you. Are you good with Georgia jumping up to number one after that blowout win over Ole Miss? Yeah, I mean, I think like if this is a week-to-week basis, you look at who they played, and if, if we believe Ole Miss is as good as we thought they were, they smoked him at home, and Georgia – while has muddled around in maybe games that we think they shouldn't have, in games of consequence when the expectations are the biggest, they have really played well this year. Plus, you got to see a healthy Brock Bowers. He looks good out there again. So there's a lot of movement. This week, I don't think there's a ton of big games in the eastern part of the United States. The Pac-12's got some good ones. And then it'll come down to rivalry Saturday and how that ultimately looks there in the conference championship. Bobby, final minute here. If, uh, If Quinn Ewers is, in fact, returning for another season, is Arch Manning entering the portal, or do you think he stays? Here's the thing, man. The Mannings are strategic. They are smart. They don't react, uh, you know, uh, just to random news. Like, they're going to think through this and be very – if they thought Sark and Texas was the right place to develop them, and they knew that Quinn Ewers was there. It wasn't like right. this guy came out of nowhere and just dropped out of the sky. There has to be a thought that, hey, you know what? He might be good, but not good enough to leave after one season. And so I, I don't believe that they're going to be crazy, crazy knee-jerk reactionary to this. Maybe he does, but I don't think this is a certainty. I would put the, the safe money on him returning to Texas at this point. Bobby Carpenter joins us each week and uh, always brings it. Bobby, great to see you as always, man. Get back to it. And uh, again, enjoying everything on SiriusXM and beyond. 
Thanks, guys. I appreciate Thanks, it. Bobby. Yeah, it's Bobby Carpenter. At BCarp3 is how you can follow him on social. And, uh, yeah, check him out on, on Series 6M Channel 84, uh, which, Chad, you listen to very often on Saturdays. I do. The wraparound coverage. Running some errands, going to practices or games, and always listen to that. It's great, great content on your Saturday afternoon listening to games. Coming up, we air our top grievance of the week. Primary complaints straight ahead. Hot Mike with Dutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Coming up uh, in just a bit, Clay Travis will join us straight ahead. Plus, Chad, uh, another coach could be on the way out. We'll discuss Chip Kelly in UCLA. The report is that he uh, is on, on his way out. It's just whether or not it's going to be after this weekend's game or if they beat USC, they'll wait until <laughs> the end of the season. It's very, I mean, it's, that's, the, uh, that's the Ferentz way. Can you imagine Chip Kelly's post-game interview? Sharon Moore like if they beat USC and he's tearful. Hey, I want to know. I want to let everybody know that I, I know that my job here is over, but I got a few things I got to get off my chest. Some uh, crazy decisions and how they've been handled this year, you know, across football in general. Well, we'll get into a bigger discussion on it. I think there's a, obviously a big change happening in college football starting next year with a lot of realignment and teams adding to uh, conferences, yeah. adding teams, moving around and it it just sort of feels like everyone's trying to move into this transitional period on the right foot yeah or at least on a new one so we'll, we'll we'll discuss yeah, yeah. Start, start fresh that's right uh primary complaint just tomorrow i think another strange decision and just nonsensical so a story by uh, amber harding and outkick right now a middle schooler in california suspended uh, and not allowed to attend, uh, attend any further athletic events uh, based on what, what they, they, the decision makers say was uh, him showing up in blackface, a middle schooler uh, wearing eye black to a high school football game because the, uh, one of the teams was mostly black. This was perceived to be racist and uh, blackface instead of eye black for a middle schooler attending a high school football game. What is going on with the reactionary decision-making and the assumption that everything is centered around racism? Yeah, there's, there's too big of a leap to every, this is racist, right. so this person needs to be suspended. I, I can't think of a rational way that if you go to the kid and the parents, even if someone complained about it, okay, hey, I'm offended by this kid, I feel like he's mocking, you know, Black people, whatever. It, it's offensive, right? Yeah. Okay. You have to answer things like that if you're an administrator or a principal or a teacher or whoever. You go to the kid. If the kid says, I don't know what they're even talking about. I was just wearing eye black like I do for my middle school games. I just wore it to support my team. Okay. Case closed. Hey, maybe next time don't wear so much just so we don't have any confusion. You know, you might have a talk with the kid about that to a game, you know, wear your eye black, but don't smear all. I don't know. Say something if you need to, but that's fine. You're not suspended to go to you're suspended for two days. And I have to think that the parents are appealing this. I know that there's some organizations getting involved to appeal it, but Hutton to me, the simple act of saying, no, that's not what my son was doing. 
That was not his intent. Right. Either him saying it or his parents saying it, that's it. I, I, you're you're trying to prove intent here that this kid is a this little kid's a racist. Well, well the, so he's going to be suspended for two. I, I just the reaction don't. was he's wearing the eye black simply because one of the teams is mostly black and not because he's just a football fan and. Well, right, but like even it, if that's the accusation, I don't know how you don't just go to the kid and he says what's being said here that no, I'm just wearing eye black, and. I need it's, to know more about this because I feel like if the kid just comes back and says, no, I wasn't doing that, then he's not suspended. Like, who on earth would make that terrible of a decision? A, a school board member or principal or whoever, and if the parents are also defending it, I don't know. I feel like I need more information well, as to how this kid responded when they said something to him. Was he saying something during the game? Is there another side to this? Because this appears to be really, really stupid. And, unless we're not getting the entire story. And now the, the, the reaction, they've got, uh, there's a group that's fighting to, to defend the uh, middle schooler uh, known as J.A. Um, it, it's uh, for First Amendment rights. So uh, a middle schooler kid wearing eye black going to a football game turns into racism and First Amendment rights in the battle. It's just uh, where we are is just so uh, nonsensical. It... it you have to be able to make sense in what you're doing and how you react. Like, doesn't far, someone far too have often, to... it's just to appease uh, the the small group or, in some cases, very uh, small group of complainers well, for the sake of complaining. Someone has to answer. to. I, I don't... I mean, were they saying something verbally? That's, like, that, I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I feel like there has to be more to this story uh, because this is on its face so, no pun intended, so dumb. Of a decision. Again, yeah. if the scenario is you go to the kid and say, hey, why is your face painted black? And he says it's eye black like football players wear. I mean nothing by it. Okay, great. Fine. Move about your day. If the kid says something else about it or he's taunting the opposing team or he's doing something we don't know about, well, that needs to be said also at some point. I hate, and Amber Harding wrote this piece at OutKick and did a good job with it, but Amber Harding gets this story at OutKick. It starts getting published other places. If I'm the principal who made that decision, I need to issue a statement. If there's press about this and there's another side of it, you need to defend yourself or say something. I hate the immediate just going and turtling when there's a story and not say, we're just not going to say anything. We're just going to be quiet. This is going to go away. That's what's so dumb about this. This kid's going to be suspended for two two days. Right. Uh, he's going to he's going to have bad grades. He's not going to attend the events, and we're going to stop talking about it because they're not going to respond. The school board there, the principal, no one's going to say anything. They should say something. If there's more to the story that we're not covering, I'd like to know what it is. Again, because I just see this story and I I start to get curious and think there's got to be more to this, right? There has to be a history with this kid. There has to be behavioral problems. There has to be something he was saying or taunting someone with during the game. Right. There's more to this than just that, right? And my guess is he's worn it before at other games because he's a middle school kid going to a high school. That game. would be my assumption. If, if that's what he says, then the story's over and he's not suspended. So how on earth was he suspended? It just seems so stupid. Chad, each and every week we air our top grievance of the week. It is time for primary complaints. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Complain 
run away from your feelings. It's time for Hot Mike's primary complaint. Guys, my primary complaint this week is a wrong answer when there is no wrong answer to a question. And this is the Christmas edition. Because this is the time of year where it is the... You just throw out the line, hey, do you have your Christmas... When do you put your Christmas tree up? Is your Christmas... uh, Are your Christmas lights up? And there is this perception uh, that, you know, there's a certain date that you have to do it by. Who cares? Who cares? There is no wrong answer to this. Uh, Stores putting out uh, Christmas lights and uh, trees and all of the uh, furnishings for the season. Uh, Constant chatter about this. And it's just old and used and worn out. I'm tired of hearing this, just like I'm always tired going into a discussion of how's the weather or how are you doing when the obvious answer from everyone is, oh, I'm fine, I'm good. doesn't matter how someone's actually feeling. In this case, there's no wrong answer to whenever you do it. I mean, I'm not putting the tree up early, but you can, and it's not going to bother me one bit. That should be the universal feeling for the season. That's my primary complaint. Tis the season to be merry. Button. Uh, I, I'm with you. Yeah, you don't have to put them up if you never take them down either. Yeah, that's true. You could go year there round. Go. That, well, that's a that's probably a, a, a separate issue. Yeah, the H- no wrong answer. The, the HOA would uh, the HOA would stand by that too. Look, I, I'm guilty of this. The moment eggnog goes on sale at the store, I'm getting it. It could be October, and I'll start drinking it. And then uh, the moment my kids request Christmas music, and I'll go ahead and tell you, it was the day after Halloween. Okay. We're listening to Christmas music every morning on the, on the way to school. So I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't uh, care. Just real quick. Celebrate brief. however you want. Look, there, are, there are holidays, right? There, there are, there's Halloween. There's Thanksgiving. Then there's uh, seasons. July 4th. And there's a se- Christmas is a season. I stand by Christmas is the season, and yeah. you have uh, other holidays. So if you want to celebrate the season whenever you want to, whatever. If you want it to be the whole last two months of the year to be the season, then, then, then have at it. I'm with you on that one. You know, excess can be a, a, a fun thing. Right, it's it's rarely go, a good thing, but excess can be tasty at times, unless you're dealing with mayonnaise, where okay. excess is very rarely tasty. Okay, mayonnaise is it's a condiment that I love. Uh, I apply it uh, somewhat liberally on sandwiches, but to strike the perfect balance of mayonnaise to bread to meat to cheese to mustard on my ham and cheese sandwich that I eat most days. I mean, it is, it is a, a, it's like a Picasso, okay? I'm very skilled when it comes to this. You get the butter knife out. You get the mayonnaise in there. I know exactly what I'm looking at that's going to perfectly cover one side of bread, one slice of bread with just enough mayonnaise to do it. But one of the worst things that you can do, whether you're making yourself a sandwich or someone's making it for you, is when you get the wrong ratio of mayonnaise. A little bit too much mayonnaise equals a lot of gross on the sandwich. This is a very, very tricky thing. It is a delicate breaking point of mayonnaise that is tasty and adds to the sandwich or the mayonnaise that's too much and all you can taste is mayonnaise. When you over-mayonnaise a sandwich, it will ruin your meal. If someone at a restaurant over-mayonnaise is your sandwich, you can't do anything about it. Because I feel like even when you start to scrape some of it off, that first bite leaves this lasting impression of mayonnaise just running out of your mouth. And that's all you're going to taste the rest of the time. Sorry for that visual. Over mayo 
is a real problem in America. I don't know if it's a problem in Europe or Asia or anywhere else. It is a problem in America, and I'm here to stop it. And over mayo is my primary complaint. I don't think mayo is used in, I would say, majority of European I, countries. I think Chad hates mayo the way Davey oh, hates that's, dairy. That's not true at all. They dip their French fries in mayonnaise in France. You know how I know that? Pulp Fiction. Uh, John Travolta's character says they dip their fries in, in mayonnaise. Well, oh, yeah. If, if Tarantino wrote it, it must be true. Their French fries are uh, going mayonnaise. <laughs> I also just watched a travel show about Santiago, Chile, and it made me think about this. They're big in sandwiches there, and they put mayonnaise on everything in, in South America and in Chile. Big mayonnaise country. I'll have to do more research on which countries Please utilize do. mayo. And which don't, but I, I'd never heard the term over mayo, Chad. So I appreciate you. Uh, You're welcome. Giving me that. I'm knowledge. an educator, David. Guys, I might have uh, some pushback on my primary complaint, but my primary complaint is when you know your team needs to lose in order to be successful long term. And a couple examples we're talking about: it's hot seat season. You have several coaches. I mean, just across college football, we look at them right now, and we know depending on how these final couple of games go for these teams. It could be determining whether or not their coach is returning for a new season. Right now, I don't see Billy Napier ever winning a national championship at Florida. Uh, Sam Pittman's never going to win anything of major, major newsworthiness at Arkansas. And so if you're fans of those teams, even if you like that coach, it's not the worst thing for your team to lose those last couple of games. Because if your ultimate goal is to win a national championship and you know you don't have the guy to do it, Get rid of the coach. The only reason the coach is going to go away is if, one, he leaves for another job or two, school comes together and says, hey, we need to fire him. I, I, I don't like the term, I, or I get the term tanking season in the, the NFL, NHL, NBA, all, all the professional leagues. And while I know the team themselves is not going to tank, I don't necessarily get upset if I know my team is in a position where losing would actually be beneficial for them down the line. And that's my primary complaint when people kind of have that pushback and say, no, if you're rooting against your team, you're not a true fan. No, I would argue I'm actually more of a fan because I want my team to be successful long term. I, I think um, speaking of excess, how about the blue today? All three of us. Yeah, this is a good, good mix. It's a kaleidoscope of blue. Um, I, I Davey, I, I, I see your point. I, it's very hard for me as a fan, to get there to actually go through the act of cheering against my team. Even if, like, in theory, you're right. Like, oh, this is actually better if they lose, whether an NFL team for draft picks or college to get a coach fired. But I just, when it push comes to shove, I have a hard time watching a game featuring one of my teams and saying, I'm going to root outwardly against my team. I default back to still wanting them to do well. The only time I've ever done that was during the Jeremy Pruitt tenure at Tennessee. Yeah. But there were other things. And you rooted for him to give uh, fast food bags of cash out. He did that, too. And that's how he lost his job. Maybe that's uh, UCLA now with uh, Chip Kelly. Could be. We'll discuss the the likely Do they have fans? Chip Kelly next.